0: Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to Bluehost.com Wondersuite. That's Bluehost.com Wondersuite.
1: Cranford by Elizabeth craig Greskill. Chapter 1, Our Society. In the first place, Cranford is in possession of the Amazons all the holders of houses above a certain rent, are women. For a married couple come to settle in the town, somehow the gentleman disappears. He is either fairly frightened to death for being the only man in Cranford evening parties, or he is accounted for being with his regiment, his ship, or closely engaged in business all the week in the great neighbouring commercial town of Dumble, distance only twenty miles and railroad. In short, whatever does become of the gentleman, they are not a at Cranford. What could they do if they were there? A surgeon has his rounds for thirty or thirty miles asleeps Cranford, but every man cannot be a surgeon. For keeping the trim gardens, full of choice flowers, without a weed to speck them, for frightening away little boys, look wistfully at the sad flowers, through the railings of for rushing out at the geese, occasionally venture in the gardens, The gates are left open, deciding all questions of literature and politics without troubling themselves as to reasons or arguments, retaining clear and correct knowledge of everyone's affairs in the parish, and keeping them neat, made servants in adorable order, for kindness somewhat dictatorial to the poor, and real tender good offices to each other. Whenever they are in distress, the ladies of Cranford. Are quite significant. A man as one, of them reserved to me once, is so in a way in the house. Although the ladies of Cranford know all each other's proceedings, exceedingly indifferent to each other's opinions. Indeed, each has her own individuality, not to say eccentricity, pretty strongly developed. Nothing is so easy as verbally retaliation. But, somehow goodwill reigns among them to a considerable degree the Cranford ladies have only an occasional little quarrel spirit it out in few peppery words angry jerks at the head just enough to prevent the even the even tremor of their lives from becoming too flat a dress is very independent fashion as they observe what does it signify how we dress here at Cranford where everybody else, everybody knows us. If they go from home, their reason is equally conjunct. What does it signify how we dress here, where nobody knows us? The materials of their clothes are in general good and plain. Most of them are nearly as scrumptious, and most of them are nearly as scrupulous as Miss Tyler or clearly, or clearly memory. But I will answer it for it for it. A little gidget, the last tight and scanty petticoat in wear in where, in England was seen in Cranford and seen without a smile. I can testify to a magnificent family red silk umbrella, under which a gentle little spinster left alone from or many brothers and sisters, used his pattern to church on rainy days. Have you any red silk umbrellas in London? We had a tradition of the first that had ever been seen in Cranford, and little boys mobbed it and called it a stick in petticoats. It might have been a very red silk one I have described, held by a father of a troop a little ones that poor little la- old lady, survivor of all, could scarcely carry it. Then there were rules and regulations for visiting and cool little schools. They're announced to any young people who might be staying in the town the old solemnly superiority with which the old bank's laws were read once a year on the town world mount our friends are sent to inquire how they are after your journey tonight might be a fifty miles in gentleman's carriage they'll give you some rest tomorrow the next day i have no doubt they will call So be at liberty about twelve after twelve. or twelve to three, you are are calling hours. Then, after they have called, it is the third day. I dare say your mother has told you. My dear, never let more than three days elapse to receiving a call and turning it. Also, you are never to stay longer than a quarter of an hour. But uh, am I to look at my watch? How am I to find out when a quarter of an hour has passed? You might, must keep thinking about the time, my dear, and how not allow yourself to forget it in conversations. In conversation. As everyone had this rule in their minds, whatever they received or paid a call, because no reserving subject was ever spoken about. We kept ourselves to short sentences for a little small talk and punctual to our time. Imagine... But a few of the gentlefolks of Cranford were poor, and had some difficulty in making both ends meet. But they were like the Spartans, and concealed their smart under a smiling face. We none of us spoke of money, because the subject savoured of comments and trade. And though some might be poor, we all were all aristocratic. The Cranfordians. Had a cunning and spirit de which made him overlook any deficiencies this censures. When some among them tried to conceal the poverty, when Miss Foster, for instance, gave a party for baby in a, in a baby house or dwelling, the little maiden disturbed the ladies on the sofa by a quest that she might get tea tree 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 tea tree out from beneath. Everyone took this novel proceeding, most natural thing in the world, took on by the house of forms and ceremonies, as if we all believed our hostess had a regular servant's home, second table, the housekeeper and steward, instead of one little charity school maiden, whose short ruddy arms could never have been strong enough to carry the tray upstairs. She had not been assisted in private by mistress, and now sat in state, pretending not to know what cakes were sent up. Though she knew, we knew, and she knew that we knew, we knew that she knew that that we knew, she had been busy all the morning making tea bread and sponge cakes. There was one, there were one or two coincidences cool arising from this general but knowledge poverty, this very much acknowledged gentility, which was not amiss, which might be introduced into other circles, many circles of society in a great for their great improvement. For instance, the inhabitants of Cran- Cranford kept early hours and clattered home in their, pa- in their patterns under the guidance of Lantern bearer. about nine o'clock at night. The whole town was to bed and asleep by half past ten. However, is considered vulgar, tremendous word in Cranford, to give anything expensive, way of eatable or drinkable, evening entertainments, wafer, bread and butter and sponge biscuits were all the honourable which Jason gave. She was sister-in-law to the late Earl of Grunermy, although she did practise such an elegant economy. An economy, how natural one falls back into the physiology of Cranford. Be there. Economy was always elegant, and money spending always vulgar, and centrous, oh, not centrist, a sort of sour greatism, and made him very peaceful and satisfied. Should, I shall never forget the dismay he felt when a certain Captain Brown came to live at Cranford, and nobody spoke about his being poor, not a whisper to an intimate friend, the doors or windows being previously closed, but a public street, an elementary voice, allegedly poverty, the reason for not taking a particular house. The ladies of Cranford were already, well, were already rather moaning at of their charities, by a man and a gentleman. He was a half-pay captain had obtained some situation on his neighboring railroad which had been vehemently petitioned against by a little town, and if in attention to his masculine gender, his connection with a obnoxious railroad, he was so brazen to be talkable of being poor. Why then indeed he must be sent to commentary death was as true as common's poverty, yet people never spoke about it at loud out in the streets, is a word not to be mentioned to ears polite. He had agreed to know that any with whom he associated on terms of by visiting equally would never be prevented, never be prevented by poverty from doing anything that they wished. If we walked or, from a party, it was because the night was so fine or the air was so refreshing, not because the sedan chairs were expensive. We wore pants so of so, uh, silks because we preferred washing material and so on till we blinded ourselves to the vulgar fact that we were all of us people of very moderate means of course then we did not speak what to make of a man who could speak of poverty as if it was not a disgrace yet somehow captain brown made himself respected in cranford and was called upon in spite of all resolutions solutions to the contrary I was surprised to hear his opinions quoted as authority as a, at a visit which I paid to Cranford, but a year after he settled in town. My old friends had been among the British opponents who opposed a visit captain and his daughters. And he ate twelve months before. Now he's, he, now he's even admitted to the hours before twelve. True, it was to discover the cause of the smoking chimney for the fires lit, lighted, but still Captain Brown walked upstairs, nothing daunted, spoke in a voice too large for the room, a joke quite in the way of a tame man about the house, he had been blind to all the small slights and missions of trivial courtesies which he had been received. He had been too friendly for the Cranford ladies, had been cool. He had answered small sarcastic compliments in good faith with his own his manly frankness had overpowered all the shrinking which made, met him. As a man who was not ashamed to be poor, and at last his excellent, excellent common sense, his facility in devising expedients to overcome domestic demurmas, had gained him an extraordinary place in his authority among the Cranford ladies. He himself went on his course as unaware of his popularity, he had been of the reverse, and surely started one day. When we found, he to so highly esteemed as to make some counsel which he had given a jest to be taken in sober serious earnest it was on this subject an old lady had an ordinary cow which she looked upon as a daughter she could not pay the short quarter of an hour call without being told the wonderful milk or wonderful intelligent this animal the whole town knew that Connie regarded miss betsy Balkers orderly Therefore, great was sent for the regret when, in an unguarded moment, the poor cow tumbled into light bits. She moaned so loudly, she soon heard and rescued. Even the poor beast had lost most of her hair, came out looking naked, cold, and miserable, and bare skin. Everyone pitied the animal, though a few could not restrain their smiles. Her droll appearance missed.
2: This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24 7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quitgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.
1: Betsy Barker. Betsy Barker absolutely cried with sorrow and dismay. He said, she thought, we trying to buy a bath of oil. His remedy, perhaps, was recommended by someone of someone the number whose advice he asked. The proposal, if ever it was made, was not on the head by Captain Browns, decided. Get her a flannel waistcoat, a flannel drawers, madam, if you wish to keep her alive. But my advice is to kill the poor creature at once. Miss Betsy Barker dried her eyes and faked the Captain Arley. She went to work, by and by, and all the town turned out to see Audrey, meekly me going to a departure clad in dark grey flannel. I have to watch her myself many a time. Do you ever see a cows dressed in grey flannel in London? Captain Brown had taken to a small house on the outskirts of the town. He lived with his two daughters. He must have been upwards of sixty at the time of the first of the first visit A paid at cranford of the left as a, as left it as a residence but he had a rarely well, well-trained elastic figure a starved military throwback of his head spring step which made him appear much younger than he was he always sort of looked almost as old as myself to the fact he's real a more than an proper age. Miss Brown must have been forty. She had a sickly pained, care-borne expression on her face. Look at this of youth had long faded out of sight. Even when young, she must have been plain and hard-featured. Miss Jessie Brown, been ten years older, younger than her sister, and twenty years shades prettier, her face was round and dimpled. Miss Jenkins once said, and passion against Miss Captain Brown, cause of which I tell you presently, and she thought it was time for Miss Jessie to leave off her dimples, not always to be trying to look like a child. True, there was something childlike in her face. There will there will will be, I think, still till she dies, though she could live to be hundred. Her eyes are large, blue, wondering eyes, looking straight at you, her nose as unformed with a sn- and snow and stub, and her eye, lips were red and dewy. She wore her hair, too, in little rows of curls, which hid in this appearance. I do not know whether she was pretty or not, but I liked her face, I did not, and did every one. I do not think she could help her dimples. She had every, something of her father's great jauntness, of gaunt to manner, and any female observer might detect a slight difference in the attire of the two sisters. Uh, Miss Jessie, being about two pounds per annum more expensive, Miss Brown's two pounds was a large sum in, sum in Captain Brown's annual disbursements. Such is the depression made upon me by Brown family. I first saw them all together in a crowd church. The church, captain and I met before on occasion a smoky chimney, which he had cured by some simple alteration. The flew in church. He held his double eyeglass to his eyes during the morning hymn, and then lifted up his head erect and sang out loud and joyfully. He made responses louder, the clerk. An old man with a grim piping feeble voice who, I think, felt aggrieved at Captain Sorona's brace and quivered higher and higher in consequence. On their coming out of church, the brisk captain paid most gallant attention to his two daughters. He nodded and smiled to his acquaintances. But he shook hands with some nun so he helped miss Brown, fill her umbrella and believed her of her prayer book, and P- waited patiently to see with trembling nervous hands, taking her up her gown to walk through the wet roads. I wonder what Cranford ladies did with who Captain Brown at their parties. He would often rejoice in former days, of no gentleman to be attended to, the find a conversation for. At card-gaining parties, we had con- con- congratulated ourselves upon... The smugness of her evenings, a love for gentility, to taste of mankind, it must have persuaded itself that to be man was to be vulgar. So when I found my friend and hostess Miss Jenkins, I was going to have a party my honour that Captain Miss Browns were invited. And Miss Browns were invited, I wondered which. I wondered much what would be on course of the evening car cables with green blazer tops and set out by daylight, just as usual. It was the third week in November, so the evenings closed in about in about four. Candles and clean cards, packs of cards were arranged at the table. Fire made up a neat maiden servant, received her in last, last directions, and there we stood dressed in our best each with a candle layer in our hands, ready to start our candles as soon as the first knock came. Parties of Cranford were seldom solemn facilities facilities making the ladies feel gravely elated as they sat together in their best dresses as soon as the three had arrived sat down in preference of doing, being the unlucky fourth the next four comers were put down immediately to another table and presently tea tables trays which had been sent out in the storeroom to pass in the morning were each placed in the middle of the card table the delicate eggshell. The old-fashioned silver glittered with polishing. There is a table of the slightest description. The trays are yet on the tables. Captain and Miss Browns came in. I could see that somehow or another the Captain was a favour. All the ladies present, ruffled brows with smooth sharp voices lowered. His approach to Miss Brown looked ill and depressed and almost a gloom. Miss Jessie smiled as usual and seemed a an nearly poplar. As a father, he immediately and quietly assumed the man's place in the room, tended every one's wants, lessened the party made servants labour by one waiting on empty cups and bed, butter la- butterless ladies. Yet did it all so easy, dignified in a manner, so much as if it were, were a court matter of course. for strong to tend to the weak, the true man for out played for three p- penny points, with. with as grave in interest they were pounds, and yet with all his attention to strangers, he had an eye on his suffering daughter, the suffering as I was sure she was, for two met low to many eyes you might only appear to be irritable. Miss Jesse could not play cards. She talked to sitters out, who before her coming she'd rather inclined to be cross. She sang too an old cranked on her. To an old cranked cracked piano which i think had a spinet had a spin it in his youth miss jesse sang jock of herzane a little out of tune which we went we all and was a musical like miss jenkins beat out of time out of time by the way of appearing to be so it's very good of miss jenkins to do this but i've seen that a little before you had been a little a good deal annoyed by Miss Jessie Brown's the admission protest of the Second Wall. She had an uncle, uh, our mother's brother, who's a shopkeeper in Edinburgh, which they could try to drown in confession by a terrible cough, for Br- the old Miss Miss Simpson was sitting at a car table nearest Miss Jessie. would and what would she say or think if she found out that she was in the same room as the shopkeeper's niece? But Miss Jessie Brown, who had no tact, as well we all agreed. The next morning would we'll repeat the information. Sure Miss Pole could easily get her the identical Shetland wool required. For my uncle, who was best of something Shetland goods of any in Edinburgh, it was, take, it was to take the taste out of the, our mouths and sound of out of our ears. And Miss Jenkins proposed music, so I must say again, very good of her, the beat time to the song. The trains reappeared with biscuits and wine, punchy at quarter to nine, there was a conversation, comparing the cards and talking of the tricks. But by and by Captain Brown spoiled a bit of literature. Have you seen any numbers of the pa- Pickwick pa- pa- papers, said he? They had been pumped between parts, Captain, capital thing. Now Miss Jenkins, the daughter of the deceased, rector of Cranford, and a strength of the number of manuscript sermons, a pretty good library of divinity, because it is self-literary. And looked upon any conversation about books to challenge to her. So she answered, and "Said yes, she had seen them. Indeed, she might say, she had read them. What do you think of them?" Exclaimed Captain Brown. "Are they famously good?" So uh, Miss Jenkins could not speak. I must might say I don't think they are by any means equal to Doctor Johnson. Shall I perhaps the author is young? Let him preserve. Who knows? "'or well, he may become, if he will, "'take the doctor for his model. "'It's only too much for Captain Brown "'to take placity, placity "'and I saw the words of Tippy's tongue "'for Miss Jenkins had finished her sentence. "'It's quite a different sort of thing, "'my dear madam,' he began. "'I'm quite aware of that,' returned her. "'I make allowance, Captain Brown. "'Just allow me to read out "'that you have seen out this much number,' he, he "'I had only this morning i don't think the company can have read it yet as you please said to her. she taking herself in for an air of resignation he read an account of the soire which sam weller gave at bath so i must laugh heartily. i did not kick there because i was staying in the house miss jenkins sat in patient gravity when it was ended she turned to me said with mild dignity fetch me yourselves my dear out of the book room when i brought it to her she turned to get round. Now allow me to read you a scene a present company can judge between your favourite Mr. Boz and Dr. Johnston. <coughs> <coughs> she read out one of the conversations between Russ Ells and Inverick. I pitched a majestic voice and when she ended, she said, I imagine I can justify my preference to Dr. Johnson." by definition. Captain screwed up his, lip, his lips up, on the table, but he did not speak. She thought she would... Uh, he thought she would give him a finishing blow or two. I said so it vulgar be below the dignity of literature, in numbers. How was Rambler published, madam? Said Captain Brown in a low voice, which I think Miss, Miss Jenkins could not hear. Dr Dunst's was a model for young beginners, A vulgar recommended it to me, began to write letters. I've formed my own style upon it. I recommend it to your favourite. Your favourite should be very sorry for him, but strange its style. Of any such pompous writing, said Captain Brown. But Jenkins felt at this personal front the way in which Captain not dreamed, Esperatory writing, she and her friends considered be a forte. Many a copy, and many a letter, been written and corrected on the slate, before she seized the half hour just previous to post them, time to assure her friends of this or that, and Johnson Johnson was, as she said, a model of these compositions. She drew herself up with dignity and only applied to Captain Brown's last remark by saying, the marked emphasis on every on every syllable, "I heard Doctor Johnson to Dr. Mr. Bower's." It is said I don't vouch for the fact that Dr. Brown was heard to say in sotto of voice, "Doctor Johnson." If he did. He was penitent. Afterwards, as he showed by going to stand in Miss Jenkins's armchair, endeavouring to beguile her. Conversation, some more pleasing subject, and some more pleasing subject. (coughs) (coughs) But she was insquarable. Next day, she made a remark and mentioned about Mrs. Jessie's dimples.